Well, good morning, Christians. Good morning, Christians. Good morning. Today we celebrate another feast of the church. It is the feast of the ascension of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And I say it in that order intentionally because He came to save us, and in saving us, we ascribe the title Lord to Him. Although, in one sense, He was Lord all along, wasn't He? And we're going to see how that manifests itself this morning. As we enter into the Scriptures, we find ourselves in a scene that looks a little bit, maybe like kind of a Hollywood ending. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's been with His disciples for 40 days, proving Himself to be alive, eating with them, sharing fellowship with them, and suddenly He just leaves. He ascends into heaven. Cue the music, dim the lights, end the story. But it's not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story at all. In fact, this is not accidental, it is not incidental, but it is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential to who we are today and what we're doing right here this morning. Good morning, Christians. We address one another as brothers and sisters in Christ by His merits and His mercies. So there are three things that I want to lay before us quite simply this morning that are essential elements of Jesus Christ into heaven. They are His promise, His presence, and His people. His promise, His presence, and His people. First, the promises of God. The promises of God are found all throughout Scriptures, from the very beginning to the very end, and the particular promises about His kingship we find this morning. Did you know, and if you didn't know, it's interesting and important to know that in the Psalms, in the 150 Psalms we call the Psalter, there's a whole section of them that are devoted to the kingship of God. And in concert with Israel of old, we read one of them this morning, Psalm 110 verses 1 through 5. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your foes. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day you lead them up to the holy mountain. From the womb of the morning like the dew, your youth will come. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's foreshadowing Jesus, the great high priest. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. We Christians recite this psalm in concert with ancient Israel because we see Jesus as the fulfillment of that psalm. God keeps His promises in all times and in all places. We see evidence of this as the author of Hebrews writes these words in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. What's Jesus doing in heaven right now? He's interceding for us, the saints, the Christians here on earth. He's 
interceding and praying for us as we work and as we witness and as we labor for the sake of the gospel. As we advance the good news of Jesus Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords, we have a great high priest sitting at the right hand of God the Father who ever lives to make intercession for you and for me in our weaknesses, in our trials, in our tribulations. He rejoices in our joys. God is faithful to keep His promises from the beginning of time to its very end. Secondly, the ascension of Jesus Christ has something to do with His presence. We say this every Sunday morning as we finish the worship service and we are commissioned to go out into the world under the Great Commission. Jesus speaks these words and He says to His apostles right before His own ascension, Lo, I will be with you always. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we ask ourselves the question, well, if He ascends into heaven, how in the world is He going to do that? And there's a little bit of an oxymoron going on here, right? Jesus has to leave us to be present with us in a sense. Think about Jesus who has now become local. He's taken on flesh. He's become like us. He's become one of us in every way. So His presence is localized to where His physical body is. He was born in a manger. He walked around in Jerusalem and Judea and the areas where He ministered. But He could only be at one place in one time with one group of people by taking on flesh. But as He ascends into heaven, as He goes to be with the Father, His local rule and reign becomes now cosmic. He's everywhere at all times and in all places. And that's evidenced by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not absent from us. He is present with us by the sending of the Holy Spirit, which we'll celebrate next week, even at the Feast of Pentecost. If you've never known this before, church is just one great celebration. One celebration week after week after week of the risen Lord and Savior and the triumph of the coming of the King when He returns to receive us all in glory. The presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends into heaven, He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. Who is the Holy Spirit and and what's He doing? It's the ongoing presence of Jesus. He's the third person of the Trinity. Jesus says to His followers in John chapter 16, this is what He's going to do in the world, that is the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. This is the activity of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, to the unbelieving world. He's constantly convicting their conscience of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why? So that they might repent. So that they might turn from their wicked ways, turn around and believe. Remember the announcement of Jesus when He first arrived on the scene. The very first words out of His mouth in His public ministry in Matthew's Gospel and in Mark's Gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in witness to the world. But that's not all the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. The Holy Spirit is also in the church. When you and I were baptized, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we were marked for the day. That is the day of His coming again when all things will be fully and finally fulfilled. Jesus, speaking again to His apostles in John chapter 14, says this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not forsake you, but I will send the Holy Spirit. He will be with you 
and He will teach you all the truth. He will be your comforter, your counselor, your advocate, and your guide. When you and I as Christians feel weakness in this world, lean on the Holy Spirit. How many of our prayers and petitions are addressed to the Holy Spirit? He's the one who's dwelling in our hearts and minds. And here's the neat thing about the Holy Spirit. He's constantly pointing us to Jesus. If you ever wonder what the Holy Spirit is doing, the primary thing He's doing is He's giving glory to Jesus. So as we petition, as we pray to the Holy Spirit, we can be guaranteed by His promises that He's going to point us to Jesus. And Jesus is going to advocate for us before the Father by His merits and His mercies, by His triumph and His ascent into heaven. And this leads us to a third and final thing that I'd like us to point to. Promise, presence, and people. Promise, presence, and people. The apostles Peter and Paul both speak to the people of God. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, he says this. And he's talking to us. So I'll, I want to pause just a minute and, and allow us to imagine the apostle Peter himself, himself speaking to you and to me even 2,000 years later after he wrote these words. This is our identity. He says, you, Christians, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He says, once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, do we yet know who we are? Do we yet understand the immeasurable identity that God in Christ Jesus has bestowed upon us by His merits and mercies? We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. When we come on Sunday morning and we gather, it is the assembly of God's nation here on this earth to praise Him, to preach His Word, and to plant churches. This leads us to what St. Paul also had to say as he writes to the church in Corinth. He spoke these words in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 27. He says, From now on, therefore, we, meaning the church, you and I, he says, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What is your ministry? What is my ministry? Reconciliation. That's what the holy nation of God does here on this earth. We are a reconciling people. That's what we do. Just as Jesus no longer counts our trespasses against us, so we no longer count others' trespasses against them. We forgive. We reconcile. We move forward, marching on as the army of God. And so Paul says this, All this is through God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to Himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And I love this next phrase. So we are ambassadors. 
And we've been talking about this in our Wednesday night Bible study. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents the interest of a sovereign. And, he, and, and does so in a foreign land. We know this from our government. And so when we think about who we are as Christians, our allegiance, our citizenship has been transferred from this earth into the kingdom of God. And now as we, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are ambassadors of God. And He's making His appeal to us, through us, to be reconciled to Him. And so Paul concludes in this way, For our sake, we beseech you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And as we talked about on Wednesday night in our Bible study, Christians, we are the ones who should be standing up straight in this world. That's what it means to be righteous. Unrighteous means bent over, unable to stand up. But we who have been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ, we stand up straight. And we walk out into this world because we have good news to preach and to proclaim. God no longer counts your sins against you. He forgives you. You have been reconciled and you are the righteousness of God. What better news is that? That is the glory of Jesus Christ who has ascended into heaven. And so I'll conclude this morning as we talk about the promise, the presence, and the people of God with the words in Ephesians that Paul writes to encourage his church because next Sunday we're going to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And if you didn't know this, every Pentecost is a celebration of Christ the Redeemer. Because our very first public worship service was on Pentecost 10 years ago. So we will want to celebrate and rejoice that God has allowed us to continue His work and His witness through this mission and ministry. And so I leave us with these words of encouragement that we've already read this morning. Paul writes to the Christians. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power in us who believe, according to the work of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and all power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. Not a few things. Not some things. Not these things and not those things. Christ has put all things under His feet where He rules and He reigns in His sovereign kingship from on high. And He has made Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Christians, do we yet realize who we are? that every Sunday morning we come here to praise Jesus. That we come here to preach the good news, not just me preaching to you from this pulpit, but we preach it to one another by our witness, by our testimony, by our fellowship, by our unity, by our work in the world. And finally, we plant. The whole mission of Christ the Redeemer was built upon one simple idea that God gave me 10 years ago, Put the kingdom of God where it does not now exist. 
and here we are. And to God be the glory now and forever.